Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. So I, I always feel like I shouldn't apologize um, when I'm ill, but oh well, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, this happens, especially this time of year. So um, thank you a lot for allowing me to come late today. And uh, once again, a thank you to Michelle and to Renee and to Sarah uh, for having me here. Thank you. Um, you, you are all so lucky that you have so many good people in this evolving community. It was so exciting being here last night and talking with people. Some of you I've known for about five years and uh, it means a lot to me to see your faces. It's really wonderful. Um, and uh, in case you didn't know, I have an incredible sister and Renee is a really good friend of my sister's. And so, uh, we're kind of family. Yeah. Which is why we cut our hair the same way. <laughs> Again. When Renee asked me and Sarah asked me to come and teach with the Sola School, um, I knew right away what I wanted to teach, which is to talk about meditation practice from a really somatic perspective, because it's something I'm really passionate about, and we will do that. Um, and uh, some of that will be in the workshop. But I also feel that uh, because we just uh, went through an election, that I feel like it's really important to also explore some other dimensions of practice that seem very relevant to anybody who I speak to, which um, in early uh, Indian teaching, especially in the Yoga Sutra, the teachings on compassion are not explicit. You have to really read into the Yoga Sutra um, in order to get direct teachings about cultivating compassion. And when Indian Buddhist teachings go via uh, Afghanistan to China, you also have to read into some of the early teachings to get very clear um, instructions on how one should cultivate compassion. Because in the early days, the basic idea was, if you just calm down, there's nothing really you need to cultivate. It's just compassion was there the whole time under the surface. 
And in one aspect, I mean, I guess we could all say that that's true. Um, but what happened when a lot of the teachings uh, moved north from India into Tibet is the real focus of Mahayana practice became cultivating compassion. And one of the key teachings is uh, called the Lojong teachings. Um, for anybody here who's ever uh, studied uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, who helped start uh, the Naropa program in Colorado and the whole Shambhala lineage, uh, or if you've ever read, as I'm sure everybody has on their bookshelf, Pima Chodron, I always joke that no one ever actually finishes her books. It just, <laughs> they just sit on the bed, side table, and you kind of open them when you need them. Um, but kind of like the Bible. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, her work is very, very much influenced both by Shanti Deva, um, whose work I love, and also through the Lojong teachings. So I thought, as I said last night, because we're living at a time where one side, like one side of the spectrum is we're getting a new government. Governments can't do anything. Nothing's going to change. Everything's going to be exactly the same. And um, no government's ever really going to help people who are impoverished or marginalized. And so it's just another several years of the same. And the other end of the spectrum is a kind of terror, which is uh, people, um, uh, queer, trans, Latino, uh, now Jews, are being targeted as uh, racial groups, Muslims included, who are going to be losing, possibly, a lot of support. And so I think we might see some social destabilization that requires a really clear teachings on compassion. And of course, none of us know where in the spectrum any of this is going, like where we're going to be. Of course not. And of course, there are many spectrums and many different ways of thinking about it. But my interest is, do we have a spiritual practice that has anything to offer at this time? And I think the answer is yes. And so I think the question is, okay, for those of us who have a practice, and what I mean by a practice is you have made vows to be awake, to wake up others, to be available for others, and you also are learning skills to reduce your reactivity. So you can recognize in your body and in your heart what reactivity feels like. And then the hardest part of all, karma. To see that your actions have an effect and uh, you can't control the effect so much. And so most of us have done really stupid things this year. Haven't we? Or maybe even this week. I'm sure everybody sent an email this week that they are regretting. <laughs> So the Lojong teachings that we're going to study are revolve around seven different points that are taught through 59 slogans. And there's a copy here for everybody. And they're organized to remind us how to awaken the heart. The word lo in Tibetan means mind. 
uh, or it gets, I'm sorry, it gets translated as mind, like mind training. <clears throat> but I would translate it slightly different, which is attitude, as a, as a training in attitude. So these are trainings to help uh, cultivate uh, a certain kind of sensibility, certain attitude. And the word jong has two meanings. So lo jong, lo is attitude. The first is to cleanse or to purify. So like purifying negative attitudes, that's kind of obvious. But the second is, it has this connotation that once you've purified the negative, then you underline and, and um, uh, train in the positive. <clears throat> Learning more positive attitudes. Right? So recognizing the negative attitudes and then working on the positive attitudes. It's kind of simple, isn't it? Yeah. How do you spell that word? L-O-J-O-N-G. Lo Jong. In our day today, we're going to focus on um, absolute bodhicitta or ultimate bodhicitta, which is the awakened heart, the awakened mind, the awakened attitude, emphasizing the kind of aspirational quality that we can have as the backbone of practice. And if it's okay with you, I just thought, you know, for, for most of our time before we have a lunch break, we can just, you know, do this a little bit lecture style, just so that we can, like, have a framework to work with, and then start to turn them into practices. Um, when you have a daily practice of stillness, you start to see layers of reactivity that come up in response to your own body, in response to emotional patterns. And you learn how to uh, open up to the reactivity so that um, it settles and you can be more uh, connected to what's really there, not just your desire to escape. I think I talked about this last night. And this is a very practical uh, teaching because it helps our relationships a lot. Because when things get hard in relationships, we really want to get out of there. I'm sure you've never had this experience. <laughs> but it does happen where things get hard in a marriage and you begin planning another marriage. Or you plan how you're never going to get married. Okay. <clears throat> And so sometimes uh, it's very subtle the way that uh, negative attitudes come in that you don't even realize. I remember um, I have an older son um, with a woman that I'm not with anymore. <coughs> and um, I remember after we split up for the first couple of years, I would walk around and I would see women pushing strollers. And to me, they looked so depressed. <laughs> And I would see families and I would think, God, that's like a horrible, why would anybody want to do that? <laughs> I'd see like two parents drinking coffee at the playground and think, oh God, what a hell realm. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is true. And 
when my current partner and I met, when Karina and I met, um, on our second date, I gave her a list. And uh, it had all the things. Like, so the first thing on the list was no children. <laughs> We're not going to have kids. And I had this whole list of like, just so you know, if we get together, this is, <laughs> these are the rules, you know. Yeah. Anyways, we've gone on to have lots of children. <laughs> um, but the point is, is sometimes uh, when um, we're not open to some of the reactivity we have in us, it goes underground, and then it just shows up in our attitude like as resentment or as being cynical or as being jaded. And it, it, it's, it's kind of, I always think it's a little bit like learning to ride a bike. When you learn to ride a bike, you learn all the steps to be able to ride a bike, but then you forget what all the steps are, right? And it's a little bit like this sometimes with symptoms in our negative attitude. Like you've found a way to kind of manage some emotions, like riding the bicycle, and then you're riding the bike, but you forgot kind of how you got there. So, um, softened by this uh, openness of seeing reactivity, we can then cultivate more positive mental states, more positive attitudes. And uh, these are called um, slogans, trainings. And um, most translators call these slogans, but I had these, this idea that we should retranslate it and call them um, bumper stickers. And that we should actually make 59 bumper stickers, because there's 59 slogans, and we should make 59 bumper stickers. And I told this to a group in British Columbia, and they actually started making them. <laughs> so, so, and you'll see, when, as we go through them, some of them are really good bumper stickers. Um, but another way of thinking about them as bumper stickers, just to kind of keep playing with that metaphor, is that they are literally stuck on everything that you bump into, which is a wonderful thing. When you bump into something, but you have a dedication to keeping practice first, then whatever you bump into becomes something that is teaching you. Becomes something that's teaching you. And I know that everybody in this room loves that as a philosophy and like loves to give that as advice. This is something that can teach you. <laughs> but when you're in it, it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. But that's the way life goes. So life always uh, seems to vacillate between stability and instability. Stability and instability. It was interesting sitting at the front of the room just looking at everybody's feet this morning and just seeing, oh, stability, instability. Stability, instability. And also, um, suffering and um, release. We go through phases where there's suffering and we go through phases of, of release. And um, ultimate bodhicitta, this, this practice we're going to explore today, is just about having a frame to see that in. Having a larger frame to see that in. So not being mired in the uh, symptoms of being... So, point one. This section is called Resolve to Begin. Oh, are there any questions or can we just jump in? Oh, I didn't say what bodhicitta was and I should say something. 
I'm using this term bodhicitta a lot. Um, citta is um, kind of like it, it, it's like it's like when you have you know when you have attention or intention that's really clear, and you would say um, you have like you have it's a spirit, a certain kind of spirit. That's what chitta is. And bodhi means awakening. So it's like the spirit to be awake. It's more than an an intention. Intention sounds a little dry and and too conscious and rational. It's more like the spirit to be awake. And I think everybody here who's a yoga teacher, how many of you are yoga teachers? This is what you're doing. Some of you are scared to put up your hands. This is what we're doing with our communities, right? Is we're trying to use this opportunity of being in a room full of people to help them get the spirit of what it means to have an attitude of wanting to be awake. Right? That's what we're teaching. And it has to look like something with form, so it looks like triangle poses or whatever. But it's not the triangle pose that we're teaching. And even if you think you're teaching the anatomy of a triangle pose, um, you're actually just teaching someone a spirit, spirit to be awake. So the first section says, train in the preliminaries. And the text begins with this very unusual uh, message, which is basically saying, um, our training is in the basics. So whatever's happening in and around us, that's what we're going to use to wake up. So that whatever we think of as an obstacle um, is not an obstacle. One of the things I like to practice when I meditate on the breath, and I touched on this for one minute this morning, is to include sounds when you're meditating on the breath. So the breath isn't you, isn't just in you, but the breath is more ecological. And then the nice thing about including sounds when you're breathing is that uh, it doesn't make sounds into a distraction. Because wherever you go, there's sounds. So your breathing, can does everybody get a sense of that? Like you're breathing, but in the breath, sounds are also part of that. So sensory experience is allowed in. Okay, so <laughs> this helps uh, frame what's happening. So whatever is happening uh, is not an obstacle to practice, but is what we get to practice with. And this is true, as I said last night, with your own wounds. Because no matter how uh, put together you are, if you have a dedicated practice every day, and you really treat certain parts of your life as formal practice, whether it's uh, communicating, sitting still, whatever it is, um, then you're going to start to see a relational codes that you inherited as a young person uh, come up in your own brain and in your moods and in your emotions. If you think that if you're going to sit still every day and that it's going to be peaceful, you're never going to sit. 
it's not going to work. And you see this a lot as people who want to meditate and they're like, oh, it wasn't peaceful. So then, you know, they stop meditating and they go back to psychedelic drugs and ayahuasca, whatever. Is that still a big thing here? Yes. We've got to work on that. So the point is, is our practice is about learning how to fully inhabit our lives and how to not give up on ourselves. When you turn towards what's really happening, you fully inhabit what's really happening and also you learn how to not give up on yourself. And I don't mean that in like some heroic way. Don't give up on yourself. I just mean, oh, you, you are learning the courage to keep sticking with and keep tracking what's moving through you. And it doesn't really matter what brought you in the door. You might have a real deep suffering that brings you here. Or maybe you thought it would just be fun to come to a workshop. <laughs> but uh, once you start uh, looking closely at your experience, you start to see that um, there are a lot of versions of you. And some versions are really helpful and compassionate and kind and creative. And there's some versions of you that uh, really want to shut that down. And part of practice is to get to know both sides. So we can uh, awaken both sides. If you get too idealistic about just wanting the good side, there's a lot of this in California. Then you won't know how to work with the difficult stuff when it arises. In the Gospel of Thomas, it says, uh, first you must find it, but when you find it, it troubles you. I love that. First you must find it, but when you find it, it troubles you. So first we have to see, like, my mind is so busy or I am only taking in 30% of people. Or I am really only communicating 20% of me. And so it should trouble us. That should trouble us. Um, but the thing about uh, that trouble is it also can motivate us. So that's the, that's the preliminaries. Are there any questions before we keep going? Okay, so what are the four? The first one, it's not written down here, so you might want to write it down. The first one is maintain an awareness of the precious, preciousness of human life. You see how it says train in the preliminaries here in the first section? There are four preliminaries. And the first one is to maintain an awareness of the preciousness of human life. 
maintain an awareness of the preciousness of human life. The second one is be, be aware of the reality that life ends and death comes for everyone. Be aware of the reality that life ends and death comes for everyone. Number three, recall that whatever you do has a result. I mean, or you could say what goes around comes around. But everything you do has an effect. Everything you do has an effect. Everything you do has an effect. And last, contemplate that as long as you're focused on self-importance, you'll suffer. Aren't those good? Aren't those good to remember every day? And isn't it interesting that they're so simple and so in your face that you can't see them? I know that there, there are a few of you who have children and you know, these are the questions that kids have. These are like the basic questions. So, Everything that's happened in your life up until this point um, arrives in the present. The past is always encoded in the present. That's karma. Karma is that uh, what you are is a collection of the past, meaning the present moment, in one, it's called a kshana, in one moment. That's a kshana. And then it's over. And then there's another collection, another collection, another collection, another collection. And um, every time you take an action, the action has an effect. And then the effect gets planted in your mind, in your body, in your physiology, in your breathing, in your brain, in your family in the land, in your use of water, in the economy, right? It just goes on and on and on and on and on. And these are called samskaras, which is actually where you get the English word scar. And so samskaras are basically the traces from all of your actions. And what's important to understand with this idea of samskara is samskaras are not like inside you. They're not something that, ha like karma is not in you. Like car you know when people always say like karma is something that happens to you. Or, but all you are are samskaras. You are karma. There's no you that's a separate entity from samskaras. And this all might sound like really bad news. <laughs> <laughs> to some extent it is, because when you think about it, <clears throat> we're all basically turning into our parents. 
as we age. Isn't this true? And, and also, um, <clears throat> your parents, as they age, turned into their parents. So that might be a real motivator uh, to practice. But this is, also, this is also really interesting when you think about asana practice. You know, there's a big debate going on these days in uh, the asana world about um, postures and health and what we should be practicing. And I really get it because uh, we're like 80% ocular or something, you know, and so we, we think about everything in yoga this way, you know. And so we do a lot of overstretching. You notice this? A lot of overstretching, a lot of passive stretching. And I always think to myself, you know, if our practice is about waking up, why would you do the same postures every day? And why would you do the same passive stretching every day? Because research says that your muscles can only change shape in stretching by 4%. And everybody here knows that, right? You go to your yoga studio and in the first two years, it's like amazing. You get all these new, you know, all, you hit all these new plateaus in what your body can do and then that's it. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? That's it. You're not going to get any more flexible than that. And if you get angry about that, you should just blame your parents. <laughs> because most of your flexibility is determined by your central nervous system and also genetics. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> so the point of samskaras, the point of samskaras is that you've all inherited certain patterns that are totally impersonal, like they're not you, even though they feel like who you are. But they're not you. Maybe that's why when we get older, we like learning more about our family history. And then those patterns meet the environment, and then those patterns start to change. You see, so samskaras are kind of like inherited patterns, but they're also elastic, so you can change them. So, for example, in the asana world, if you get outside of the yoga bubble. Um, <clears throat> There's this thing called mobility. You heard of this term? Yoga people hate this term, but the idea with mobility is um, you should go into areas where you have flexibility, where you have you know, wide swaths of flexible range, but then in that region, you should learn how to do stuff there. You should be able to control your movements there, you should be able to have strength there. There should be all kinds of stuff that you can do there, right? Because then you have a balance, right? Where it's not just passive, um, you're not just flexible, you also have some control. Maybe if we have time, we can get to that a little bit. Okay, so we know that in asana. So the same is true in our emotional life. Training in the preliminaries is about recognizing that your life is very precious and very fragile, and so are the lives of other people. That the patterns that you think of as you are mostly inherited from ancestry and from culture. 
Isn't it amazing how much we think of me as me? And then this last preliminary, which I think is really important, is maybe even more important than thinking about death, is um, if you think about yourself a lot, you're going to suffer. And that's the deal with overthinking. Is if you're unable to work with your mind and you have a lot of rumination and you have a lot of anxious thoughts or a lot of your thoughts are in the past or you can't forgive, then um, you're going to suffer because self-conceit is the worst. It's terrible to think about yourself all the time. So here's my uh, own kind of uh, request, which is um, pay closer attention to your symptoms. If there's symptoms in your relationship, relationships plural, pay close attention to the little symptoms that bubble and use them as practice. Notice in your body where something's off and pay closer attention to that offness. It's your body's way of talking to you. you know, something's off. As I said last night, I think I said last night, our ability to be in tune with emotions is so important. Because if you can't read emotions because you have a lot of reactivity, then you can't be in relationship. You don't know how to read trust. You don't know how to read danger. You don't know how to read safety very well. Because there's so much past reactivity getting in the way. And that's why it's our job as people in community post-election to turn our relationships into uh, safe, loving havens, little pockets of protection and resistance. I really mean this. <clears throat> because uh, the people around us sometimes will go through a hard time and it's so easy for us to want to numb out when they do or to think we know how they could just solve it. So, but it's our job to just make a loving space and not abandon them. Maybe there's someone in your family who's kind of a train wreck. Do you guys have people like this in your family? <laughs> train wrecks. And our job is just to hold, in whatever way we can, a loving space for that person. Because it's not gonna happen um, via the healthcare system. So, 
Um, I'll stop here because I think we've covered point one. Um, are there any questions or comments? Thank you for listening to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. If you like this podcast, you can support it by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rate us and leave a comment. Your feedback helps to distinguish us from the pack. You can also support us by word of mouth. Tell a friend or send a tweet. Finally, please consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Michael Stone. Even a couple of dollars a month will help us reach our goals. To learn about Michael's retreats and his online courses, go to michaelstoneteaching.com. Once again, that's michaelstoneteaching.com. With your support, we'll continue to build a community library about mindfulness and mental health that can be shared with the world. Thank you for supporting this community without walls.